Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I want to, before we get into the sermon, 1 Corinthians 16 is where you're finding your way to, uh, I just want to recommend, I'm actually going to talk a little bit today about uh, deacons in the church, and you'll understand why when we get through it, but I just want to recommend these couple of uh, resources that are back on that table, Uh, the hardcover book, if you're able to, just bring it back so somebody else can read it. That's okay. If you can't, if you keep it, you're like, this is too good, I got it. fine. But it's got a lot of information about deacons biblically, uh, because as you're going to see as I go through the sermon this morning, uh, our cultural mindset regarding the term deacon and what they are and what they do may not be what it should be, and we may need to really look at the scripture and do what it says. Uh, so one, deacons, I would challenge you to read it. It was enlightening to me. I really enjoyed it. This is my personal copy. It's got notes and stuff all over it. The other one that's back there is biblical elders and deacons. Um, take it and read it, especially members of the church. If you are a member of the village church, I would encourage you strongly to read this little, I don't know, is it 30 something pages or something like that? It's 31 pages. It was written in the 1600s, but it's not the language of the 1600s, but it defines elders, deacons, the congregation, the collective responsibility, and I promise you, you will read this and be like, wow, I had no idea. I didn't know that was how these things are supposed to work in the church. Like, is it, I thought it always worked this way, whatever your frame of reference was. So pick those up. They're, they're back there, free for you to read and take, and the hard-backed one, if you can bring it back for someone else, great, and if not, that's fine too. Um, But we're going to talk about deacons, and I wanted to provide some extra resources on the subject because what I'm going to talk about is really just a finger prick on the subject. Um, But we are at the Village Church. I introduced at our last members meeting. We are looking to uh, install, I want to say, human words, best I can use, deacons in the Village Church. There's two offices in the Bible that God gave to the church, elders and deacons, and I always say there's a third, the church member. Like, the member of the church is like the most valuable member of the church. You're the most valuable office of the church. So elders, deacons, and members of the church. But uh, we've been operating without deacons. Uh, I, I believe that we've grown to a point where deacons would be valuable to us. Before we can do that, we need to understand what they are, who can be them, how do we see them serve, what is that? And so this morning's message will enlighten some of that, but again, it's only a finger prick because the text that we are in does not dwell on deacons. It mentions something we have to pay attention to, and so that's all we're going to do today. We are in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 16, and we are almost done now with this letter uh, that started over two years ago. Um, Big break and everything in between, but we are going to be getting closer. Next week we should finish up the first letter of Paul to the Corinthian church today, focusing on verses 15 through 20. We have been looking for the past two weeks, this being our third week, at principles from Paul's farewell that we as a church can live by and hopefully live life better as a church because of. Uh, If you read chapter 16, which we're going to in just a second, at first look, there's not really a whole lot for us to understand. There's not really much for us to glean from it. However, the Holy Spirit prompted Paul to write it. God allowed this to be considered his word among men. This is God's word. We read it. We pay attention to it. We glean what we can, what God would have us glean from it. We learn. We apply it. It's important. So we're not just going to gloss over it as we may be tempted to do. Would you read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 16? Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened for me, opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the Lord, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, 
I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up your absence, made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, be with us in this hour as we examine your word. Father, I'm mindful that you have placed me here to speak, but I am a sheep. I am in need of your word. I am in need of your correction. I am in need of your instruction. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to me as you speak through me to those that are listening. I pray, God, that your word will come to bear on the lives of those who hear it, that you'll be glorified because of the teaching of your word here today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to focus on verses 15 through 20 broken up because of the language that we see in the chapter. We started with verse 1, now concerning. We followed that through until we came to verse 12, now concerning. And then we're starting today at verse 15, now I urge you. Three kind of transitional points as you work through the chapter. If you're a Bible student in the room, if you like to study the scripture and you are curious, what's a good method for paying attention to the scripture? Follow those contours. Like, follow when you're reading, it says, now concerning, like, that's a change in thought. Like, right, I can be talking with you, and, well, now, about that game, we just changed our discussion. Like, hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. Great. Now, about that job, about that thing, we've changed direction. And so, as we study God's word, those contours help us pay attention to what's being said instead of just running through it as if it's insignificant. So, we're starting in verse 15. He says, now I urge you, brothers... That word there, urge, the Greek word is really good, parakaleo, means a summons. It's a call to action. It's not just a, hey, it'd be really good if you, it's not a, if you think about it, or if you like, or if you want, Paul is saying, now I urge you, take action with what I'm going to say. Now I urge you. I urge you, brothers, we've talked many times, and I'll continue, though, to help those who are learning in their biblical understanding. When it says brothers, it means brothers and sisters. This is written to the church at Corinth. We're still talking to a church. This is not to specific men, specific groups of people. This is written to the church at Corinth. Now I urge you, brothers. Then it's interesting. It's like, it's like Paul has like, trouble focusing at first. Now I urge you, brothers, what? What do you urge us? And he's like, you remember Stephanus? Remember that guy? Like, right. But the urging, is it important? What? No, no, no. Remember Stephanus? So he's going to tell us. Why is he urging us? What are you urging us about? You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. His call to action is linked to, specifically, this guy Stephanus his household, and what they are doing. Why? This is how I had to wrestle through this. I'm like, what, do we, what are we going to learn from this as a church? How does this work for us as we pay attention to this? I urge you, brothers, great. Can you just get to what you're urging? No. First, I want you to understand why I'm urging you. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Paul gives context for what he is urging them to. Stephanus is dear to him. If you've paid attention to 1 Corinthians or if you're a student of the Bible, you will remember that back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, I didn't baptize anyone, verse 15. So that no one can say, uh, let's start in verse 14, chapter 1. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Why is Paul saying this in the start? Because people were following man. 
Oh, well, I was baptized by him. Well, I was baptized by him. Well, I like this guy. Well, I like that guy. And Paul's like, look, man, am I glad I didn't baptize any of you. You're a hot mess. You're a wreck. I didn't baptize any of you. And he's like, well, I did baptize Crispus and Gaius. Look at verse 16. I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Do you understand baptism in this day? It has a whole different understanding than we have today. We understand it the same way, I want to say, that it's the profession of someone's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's immersion or, or sprinkling with water. Like, we can talk about mode all day long, but it's a belief by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and being baptized according to that profession of faith as a symbol of your obedience to Christ. You are a convert from whatever you were to the Christian faith. And so today in churches, people will come and pastor, I'd like to be baptized, or I'm thinking about baptism, this and that. Sometimes I don't even know the people. Like, I spend time talking with them, you understand? And I'm thankful to have been able to get to know the people who have been baptized here. I'm thankful for that. Like, they lived life together. When Paul says he baptized Stephanus, and pay attention in 16, what does it say? They were the first converts in Achaia. Why is this important? Because Paul shows up in Corinth to do what? Chapter 2, know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Why? That he might, by all means, what is it? Chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, it's in there, it's Corinthians, that he might, by all means, win some. Paul's on a mission. Literally, on a missionary journey to proclaim the gospel, to plant churches of converted believers to the Christian faith, to see the church established, and to go to the next town and do the same thing all over again. So when he says in 16, Stephanus and his household were the first converts in Achaia, there is intimate, personal, evangelical detail wrapped up in what Paul is saying. I came... I preached, and God saved, and I baptized. Remember them? He's like, I urge you, brothers, remember Stephanus. This is important. Stephanus is dear to Paul. His household were the first converts baptized by them, by Paul. He says, be subject to such as these. Be subject to them. Paul is urging the Corinthian church to submit to these. Well, what are they? Is he like the pastor at Corinth? Is he one of the elders? What is he? I don't know. That's the beauty of the letter. I have no idea what Stephanus was outside of the first convert that Paul baptized. And Paul's like, submit yourselves, Corinthian church. Submit to Stephanus and those of his household because they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Focusing the last couple weeks the theme, the church should be, this being part three. Here are your points if you want to write them. The church should be subject to and acknowledging of servants among them. I'll wait. I'm giving you a whole mouthful to write. It's going to fill up the page. You're going to need another page. Hope you brought pages. The food smells good. That'll help me preach fast. The church should be subject to and acknowledging of servants among them, devoted to the saints. Be subject to these. He qualifies. Now I urge you, if you look at how it's structured grammatically in your Bible, we understand that punctuation, all that was added well after the original writing. <clears throat> now I urge you, brothers, 15, let's call it 15a. Now I urge you, brothers, verse 16, be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker or, and laborer. Now we understand why the qualifier. Be subject to these, Stephanus and his household. They are the first converts. They're devoted to the service of the saints. Why would we be subject to anyone? What are we being subject to? If he had just said, I urge you, brother, be subject to these, they would have had to ask, who, why, why? The Corinthian church is going to be subject to Stephanus because they recognize they are converts. They are Christians. Oh, deep word coming from pastor this morning. Are the people you're listening to even saved? The voices on the radio, 
the author of the book, do they even know Jesus as Lord and Savior, or are they just making a buck using philosophy and God's word? We can convey information all day long, but it is to Christians, converts to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we subject ourselves to and to none other. Pastor, you've been saying a lot of things lately that kind of makes it seem like you would prefer if we deleted social media, didn't listen to the radio, the TV, or read anything but the Bible. What a day of rejoicing that would be. (laughs) You're right, I am saying that. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Why? Because all those things are nothing but distractions to you actually being subject to the first converts in Achaia who have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Anybody listen to preaching during the week? You listen to like preachers, right? I do. I'm my hands up because I do, right? Good preachers. I hope you're listening to good preachers, right? We love listening to people on the radio. We love it. And there's some good preachers out there. This is not about me. This is about the local pastor. No preacher on the radio, on TV, on the internet, or in any book cares for you the way your local pastor does. I love you in a way that they don't. I know you. You made food that I'm going to eat today. (laughs) They're good preachers, and they're teaching, and they're instructing, and we should listen to them. But it is right here that we turn our attention and our focus. Be subject. Paul says... Now I urge you, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. I spent time preaching the gospel to them. You know them. And they have devoted themselves to the servants, to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these. I just, maybe application will happen in a running theme today. Are you subject to Christians around you, devoted to the service of the saints in your local church? This is me to you. This isn't you just to me. This is me to you and you to me and us to everyone around us here in this church. If you're a guest here today, thank you for coming to the Village Church. We put priority on the gathering of the believers because God has brought us here because of his work and we are to live devoted to one another and so it's an important thing for us. I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. Be subject to these, to Christians, devoted to the service of the saints. Why? Because they are saved. Because they are Christians. And I pray they're Christians who are in the word. Because if you're a Christian who just claims faith in Christ, but never studies to know the Christ, you're incomplete. You're missing out on what Christ has called us to We need his word, be learning, be knowing. Part of the problem back in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians is that they weren't submitting to one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, brother is taking brother to court. We talked about this briefly last week. Brother is taking brother to court and that before unbelievers. He's saying that never should have happened. You should be so subject to one another. He's like, isn't there anyone among you? You can read it. It's chapter 6. Read it for yourself. Isn't there anyone among you who can like help this? Instead, you're going before unbelievers. Be subject first to the church. I got this problem. I got to work this out. Let's go talk to Stephanus and members of his household and find help. They're devoted to the service of the saints. And man, we don't really understand how granular and gritty service to the saints can get. We love... (sighs) service to the saints. We don't love (sighs) service to the saints. Get the illustration? If I can be happy, if I can hug you, if we can be best friends because everything is so good, I love serving you. But if it's going to require something of me, if it's going to pull at me, if it's going to challenge me, if I have to be subject to you and stand in the gap because you're in sin and plead with God for your life, I'm out, man. That's too much work. I can't do that. And then we look around and wonder, why are churches such a mess? Because we're not living what Christ has called us to live. Be subject 
be subject to Christians. Our lives are ordered. If there's one point, there's several, if there's one I could have you take from here today, it would be this. Our lives are ordered. God has given you and me priority for relationship in our life. You want them quickly? One, to God and his word. Sinner and saint, the priority is to God. The saint knows it, the sinner doesn't. They will. Every knee will bow. God and his word. Second is your family. The micro church, if you will. You ever think about that? Your home, men, your home is a representation of a larger organism known as the body of Christ. It is, remember back in chapter 12? You are all members of Christ and individually. Men, your home is a micro church where you are the elder. I'm a single man. Awesome. A lot less to be caring for. Just yourself and your sin and not doing it in your devotion to the Lord. Husbands, your wife is your congregation. Fathers, your children are your congregation. You're to be leading them. Did you know, fathers, it's not my job to lead your family. It's your job. Then we come here and I help you do your job. You help me do my job. Understand? God and his word, then your family. Maybe that's for you this morning. Maybe that's the young people I had the awesome time with this morning in Sunday school. Your relationships are God and then your parents. That's your order right now. That's your priority right now. God and his word, family, then your church family. I mean, it's difficult to be in this position, but God has placed me in a position of authority in your life. That's, that's the reality of what God calls a pastor to do and be. There's an order, a priority. Church family, the leaders that are found there. And then the laws and rules of the land insofar as they don't call us to compromise what God calls us to. Our lives are prioritized. Are you living rightly prioritized according to God's word? Be subject to Christians. It's in there. First point, why would we be subject to them? One, they're saved. They're Christians. They have trusted Christ by faith. They know the gospel. They're saved. They're devoted to the service of the saints. And that's the second point. They are devoted to the service of the saints. Be subject to them. This word subject, how about some qualifiers? Be in, remember chapter 11, willing relational submission to. I'm not better than you, and I know that you're not better than me, but I'm going to be subject to you because I know that we are, Ephesians says, subject to one another. Ephesians chapter, oh, I made a note somewhere in here, chapter 4, chapter 5, verse 21. Subject to one another, why? Out of reverence for Christ. Subject to one another. This whole thing is so interwoven, and all we've done is, oh, deconstruct is a big buzzword in the world right now. I didn't even want to use it, and I just did. Doggone it. We've deconstructed everything the Bible tells us and put it back together the way we wanted to, and it's not helped us at all. We are to be subject and in submission to one another, understanding that God places people and authority and leaders, those that care. Kids in the room, you live in your parents' home. Your mom and dad are the first line of authority in your life. Did you hear me? Children in your parents' home, your parents are the first line of authority in your life. I don't care if you're getting married in six months. I don't care if you're going to move out on your own. You have an authority over you. Single people, you're like, well, I moved out of my parents' house. I, I don't have an authority. Yes, you do. Everyone is someone under authority. Everyone. So you order your life. I'm, I'm out from under, I, I've left my father's house. I got a lot of thoughts that I could interject in here. If you want to hear them sometime, talk to me. Young men, living on your own, you're in a dangerous spot if you're living life on your own. You're vulnerable and you're weak and you don't even know it. You need to be subject to Christians who are watching over you. Why? Because we care for you. 
young women. I am raising four. Young women, there is an argument for me to make biblically that you are under the authority of your father until you take the hand of another man in marriage. Quiet. Young women, there is a biblical argument that you are under the authority of your father until you take the hand of your husband in marriage. God's design, not mine. Take it up with him if you don't like the plan. Be subject to them because they are Christians. Be subject to them because they are devoted to the service of the saints. Let's talk about this for a few minutes. Devoted to the service of the saints. Our lives are ordered. We have authority over us. Those who are devoted to the service of the saints are people that we are to be subject to, willing, relational submission to because God has placed them in a position to be subject to nothing of their own. I'm not here because I said I will be a pastor to these people. I am here because God said you will be a pastor to my people. Yes, sir. I'll follow you, Lord, your people, among whom I am counted. We are his people. Leaders are placed over us by God's hand. Going to talk about a few Greek words. That's always fun, right? Make a note. Three Greek words. They're all the same word in different tenses. Why? Because only in English do we have one word that means like a thousand things. In other, in other cultures and other languages, they have one word that means one thing. How smart. The first word. Diakonia. Diakonia. Greek word. It means to provide service or ministry. Diakonia, however you want to say it. Greek word. <clears throat> Second word, diakoneo. Anybody want spelling? D-I-A-K-O-N-I-A. Diakonia, first word. D-I-A-K-O-N-I-A. Second word, diakoneo. D-I-A-K-O-N-E with a straight line over it, O. D-I-A-K-O-N-E-O. Pastor, this is boring. Pay attention. To serve or to minister. Okay? First word, to provide service or ministry, diakonia. Second word, to serve or minister, diakoneo. Third word, to be a server or a minister, diakonos. D-I-A-K-O-N-O-S. D-I-A-K-O-N-O-S. What word do we get? Deacon. We get the English word deacon from the Greek diakonos, diakonia, diakoneo, the different tenses of that word. It's unclear whether or not Stephanus and his household held the actual church role office of deacon. It says they're devoted to the service of the saints. It doesn't tell us that they were deacons in the church at Corinth. It doesn't tell us they were elders at the church at Corinth. It says they were the first converts and that they have devoted themselves to the service, the diakoneo of the church. It's unclear if they are functioning in a specific office. Perhaps they ministered to Paul. This is what's believed by most scholars and ancient students of, of Paul. Early, way back, first century scholars believe that they had traveled and they ministered to him during sickness because later you're going to see down in verse 18, they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. They ministered to. You know what that means? It's likely that Paul was throwing up and somebody was there saying, it's okay, Paul, it'll be all right. Like Paul couldn't get around and couldn't do anything, couldn't function, and they were there caring for him. This is not out of the realm of possibility. They refreshed my spirit. Do you understand that at its core, to serve other Christians is literally what it means to be a deacon. To be a deacon means to serve other Christians. Furthermore, did you know that Christians serving other Christians is quite simply just what we're called to do? We are called to be servants of one another, be subject to them. They're serving you. Every Christian should be a deacon. Some will actually serve and hold a specific office in a church where we say, oh, look, it's deacon so-and-so. They are a servant here. They labor and they serve in that way among us here. God set two offices in the church to administer care for his people. One, the elder, 
What does the elder do? They teach. They exercise oversight over the church, and they provide spiritual care to the members of the church. The Bible says they are keeping watch over your soul. I don't know what you think I do all week, but I agonize about your souls. I pray about your soul. I pray that the ministry that God has called me to is nourishing and feeding your soul. Elders teach, they provide spiritual care, and they have oversight of the church. Deacons serve the tangible needs of the church. And how many people in your mind just said, and they run everything? Because how many of us could raise our hand and know the experience of deacons in the church from the rest of from our past lives? Yeah, many of us. <laughs> people are like, do we raise our hand? Do we? Most of us, if you've been in church for a long time, you've experienced deacons are the ones that make it happen. There's a thin line, not wholly incorrect. Deacons are given by God as an office in the church. Deacons are spoken of very little through the Bible, but they have qualifications. I want to point them out to you because we are a church that is praying and seeking to see God establish deacons in our church. Would you turn with me to the book of Acts? Acts 6. Just a couple quick passages. Acts chapter 6. This is the prototype of all deacons. People are like, oh yeah, Acts 6, that's where we get deacons from. Right. Acts chapter 6, as you're finding you where they were, just going to read verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint among the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Right? Hellenists are Greek believers, Greek Jews, and then there's the Hebrew believers, the Jews, and the problem is the Greek Jews aren't getting the same amount of food as the Hebrew Jews, and you know what we have? We have the first problem in church history. People in church been griping about stuff since it was founded in Jerusalem within the same year that Christ died. You're like, oh man, a lot of trouble in the church. There always has been. The church is full of imperfect people, and it is imperfect. And the Hellenist Jews, the Greek Jews are like, we're not getting the food we're supposed to get. And the Hebrews are like, well, we are. We have a problem. Now we're neglecting because maybe nationality, who knows. Verse 2, and the 12, whew, man, those guys. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. This is big. It's not right that we, they need help and we have to preach. Someone needs to help them. This is what's happening in Acts chapter 6. It's not right that we would give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. P.S. Seven men is why most churches have seven deacons. Because we like saw it in the Bible and took it literally. Do you know what? The reality is they had seven because they thought that's the number we need. There's nothing in the Bible anywhere that says a church has to have X amount of deacons. Nowhere. A church needs X amount of deacons to fulfill and serve the church properly. And at this time, in this season, they needed seven. And you know what? In two chapters, one is dead and the other one is baptizing an Ethiopian eunuch in some water and carried off by the spirit to some place called Azotus. So they go from seven to five like that. And how many are like, I bet they called for more deacons. I bet they did because a couple chapters earlier, there's like 8,000 people that have joined the church. We select deacons. Man, it's just fun to me. Sorry, I'm not yelling at you. I'm just excited. Okay. <clears throat> Therefore, brothers, pick out seven men of good repute. Look at the qualifications. Good repute. That means they have a good report. They are in good standing with the church. They are believers. Full of the Spirit. Also reinforcing to us that they are believers because we have not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God, that we may understand the things freely given us by God. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Pick out seven men with these qualifications and we will appoint them to this duty, to serve tables. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry. So verse five, they put forward these men. Verse six, they anointed them. Verse seven, look at this. The elders who are responsible for preaching saw a problem. So they tell the church, appoint some men to serve the church while we preach. So they appoint the men, they serve. The apostles preach, look at verse seven. When these, this is almost like symbiotic relationship, if you will. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Why? Because the elders didn't put down the word of God and they made sure that Christians in the church were taken care of by servants in the church. And those two things are a beautiful marriage 
of how God has provided for elders and deacons to work together to care for one another, to care for the entire body. They're mentioned again in Philippians. You don't have to go there. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes to the, to the saints, to the elders, and the deacons, which is a great case for plurality. If you would turn with me to 1 Timothy. Toward the back of the Bible, 1 Timothy. It's important that we would read these. I don't want to gloss over them. Then we're going to be done with this point and move on. But it's important as we seek to see God establish deacons in our church that we understand what we're looking for. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 1 through 7 highlights the qualifications for an overseer, a pastor, a shepherd, an elder. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve, those who diakoneo, those who serve well as diakonos gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the Lord, in, great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is what I believe we are seeing in Stephanus. Devoted to the service of the saints. Deacons. We see the words in Acts, pick out men to serve. 1 Timothy 3.10, let them serve. Verse 13, 1 Timothy 3.13, for those who serve, they are devoted to the service. I think we're talking about deacons at the church in Corinth. Don't know for sure, just it's what I see. It's, I think it might be what we're looking at. Either way, they're converts. They're devoted to the service of the saints. Deacons are under the oversight of elders. However, they are far from inferior and they are far from private. Listen, men of the church, as we pray through people being elders, the last, or people being elders and deacons, as we pray for men to be raised up as deacons, you're not a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. You might do behind-the-scenes kind of work, but the deacon in a church is a public office. There are no private offices in the church because we're all subject to one another. We know who one another is. We know how one another functions. We know who's doing and who's responsible for what ministries are happening. But deacons are not a governing office of the church. And in most of our church history experience, all of us have it to go to. It doesn't matter if you're raised non-denominational, Baptist, Methodist, Assemblies of God, Church of God, Nazarene, doesn't matter. Deacons are the brain power that make it happen. Not according to the Bible. Not according to God's word. Deacons are servants. They serve. They serve. Paul says, be subject to them. They're saved. They're devoted to you. Why, am I, why would I be subject to them? Because they're devoted to you. That's why you live your life here. Deacons in the church are devoted to the people of the church. I pray for this. I don't know who God will raise up as deacons in our church, but I pray God stir men to be devoted to this church body, to these people, to their needs. Devoted to you. Be subject to them and acknowledge them. Look what he says down in verse 18. Give recognition. Be subject to these, verse 16, as to every, and to every fellow worker and laborer, then he says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. They served me, they've served you. Give recognition to such people. Man, we've got to be careful with this in our day and age. Giving recognition to, like, it's easy for churches to simply begin praising man. We should never praise man. We should never put man on a pedestal. Man holds an office that God calls them into, that God uses them in. But it's only because of the work of God in that man's life that they are doing that. And so what are we recognizing? Look at that person and the work that God has done in their life. Praise God for that. Recognize that. Acknowledge that. Thank them. Know them. Last point. I urge you, brothers, 
the church should be subject to and acknowledging of servants among them. But that's not the only point that I want to make to you today. I want to make this one as well. They should be acquainted, aware of churches beyond themselves. You should be aware of Christians outside of us. You just said to be subject. Yes, I did. Subject to and aware of. Look what he says, verse 19. The churches in Asia send you greetings. And everybody said, so? Aquila and Prisca, and many believe this is Aquila and Priscilla from Corinthians chapter 18. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Aware of churches and Christians beyond ourselves, beyond you. Man, we barely know the people we're sitting next to right now. Shame on us. Know the people you go to church with. Don't just come and sit in this room every week and sit next to one another. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing really good. You doing good? I'm doing good. Great. Let's sing. Uh, See you next week. Okay, see ya. You don't know anything about one another at all. Know one another. We don't know one another here in our own building, let alone the church across town. The church in another state. Do you understand we read this, the churches of Asia, and everybody said, big deal. Does anybody know where Corinth is at? Corinth is in modern-day Greece. It's kind of above the Mediterranean, and there's the Aegean Sea, and it's kind of over here, Greece. Okay, I'm backwards to you all. The churches of Asia are like over in modern Turkey. The nearest church is likely Ephesus, the Ephesians. Maybe it's Smyrna, holy book of Revelation. Maybe it's Miletus, Acts chapter 20-something, where Paul calls the elders from Ephesus to Miletus before he sails. The nearest one is one of those three, and they are greater than 200 miles in a straight line away from Corinth. Paul is writing to the Corinthians from, he tells us, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. So it's likely that he's writing from Ephesus to Corinth. So he's greater than 200 miles in a straight line by sea, which is impossible. Because if you look at the Aegean Sea, it's full of islands. Coincidentally, the island of Patmos, book of Revelation, Apostle John. There's islands scattered all over there. I think the science word my kids learned this past week was the archipelago. Fight me on the pronunciation later. It means a bunch of islands. Paul actually did this, Acts chapter 18, sailed from Corinth, the church at Centria, across the Aegean Sea to those coastal regions over there. The churches in Asia send you greetings. Churches greater than 200 miles away were like, hey, Paul, we know you're writing Corinth. Would you let them know we're aware of them? And we say hi. It's not all they say. Look it. Look what he says. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And everybody said, gross. No, we can't pass. We got socially distanced. It's COVID. Listen, they're sending their affection to the church at Corinth. This is not just we're aware of you, Corinthian church. This is we love you. We care about you. We know who you are. It's all over. Corinthians chapter 16. Follow it. If you're looking at 16, look at it in front of you. Verse 1, churches of Galatia. Verse 3, saints at Jerusalem. Verse 5, Macedonia. Verse 8, Ephesus. Look at verse 10, Timothy. Verse 12, Apollos. Verse 19, the churches in Asia, Aquila and Prisca and the church in their home. All the brothers send you greetings. And we got people in church that can't even like send greetings to the person sitting next to them. Let alone thinking of and caring about and sending our affection toward churches that are who knows where away from us. Do you even think about caring about other churches? Do you remember it's how first chapter 16 started? Collection of the saints in Jerusalem who are going through a difficult season. Let's care for them. Be aware of. Greet one another. Be aware of believers outside of yourself. Your faith is not your own. It's yours. It's mine. It's ours. It's theirs. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are united. We should greet family in Christ as family in Christ. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
If you've never been in a culture that does this, I can't help you. If you have, you're going to understand what I say. One time, I was, I was able to go visit a missionary, and we entered this mall, and it was in an Arab country, which is already intimidating enough, and I enter this, and there's an armed guard with like an M16 at the door. That's already blowing my mind. I'm like, wow, that guy's just right there with a gun. That's cool. I want, the guy's like, my friend, and wraps his arms around me and kisses my face. And I'm like, don't shoot me. Like, this is, this is just culturally understood. This is something we don't understand. Like, don't walk up to me and kiss my face. Don't do that, please. In fact, don't walk up to anyone and kiss anyone's face except your wife or your husband. Like, don't kiss faces. Culturally, this is the way they send their affection. Like, we've seen this. Like, the ladies will do the little on the cheek thing. Just, why? What are they doing? They're saying, I, I love you. Dudes do it. They just don't kiss. They're like, what up? I'm much thankful for that kiss. Let's keep it right here. Know one another. Have affection for one another. And not just everyone in this room. Other Christians, other believers, other churches, other areas. Okay, pastor, how do I do this stuff? Well, I can help you with becoming aware of and increasing your awareness of believers beyond ourselves. This is one of the reasons that at the village here, sometimes when we pray, we pray for local churches by name and their pastor. That's why we do it. So that we're aware that there are churches outside of us. Listen, all of you in the next hour are going to be eating food sooner than the next hour. Praise God. You're going to be eating food. Later when you go home, you can get online and you can start searching for churches. Where's a church near me? And you can send an email to a church. I just wanted you to know that my pastor gave a message today about being aware of churches around. And I just want you to know I'm praying for you. We, we, I pray we share a common faith, but I'm just a Christian that's praying for you. Maybe you have friends or family that go to another church. Do you know anything about their church? Do you know their pastor's name? Do you know their struggles? Do you know their joys? Like, no, believers, you can do this very easy for us to engage with other churches, even globally. It's not difficult for us to engage with churches globally. How do I position myself to be subject to those who are serving and devoted? Because, pastor, that's great, but you said be subject to. And listen, I, I, I have a bit of a problem with that person. How do I be subject to them? One, you recognize that God has put them in that position. And Christians should be working out problems that they have with one another, not just letting them exist. You got a problem with a brother or sister? The Bible tells you how to fix it and address it. I'm thankful with many brothers in the room to have had problems and to have sat down and had discussion, and we don't have problems anymore. Why? Because God gives us a path through faith in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to reconcile our differences instead of living like the world with irreconcilable differences. We put those things away. How do I position myself to be subject to those serving and devoted to us? Do you know who they are? No, I don't. Have you ever asked? No, I haven't. There's a good start. Ask. I'd gladly, hey, who, who watches over this? Who sees this? I'm just, I'm curious who's devoted. Pastor, are those people who are devoted to us? Are they deacons? No, they're not. They're just serving the church, which is what I think Stephanus and his family are doing. They're just devoted to the service of the saints. Do you know those who are laboring among us? Are you aware of what they do? You realize when you come into this room and you love the fact that there's a seat ready for you and there are words on a screen and coloring sheets for your kids and Bibles you can take and people who sing or people who watch kids or people who teach a Sunday school, you realize that all happens because there are people here devoted to you. It doesn't just, I don't do it all, praise God, because I wouldn't probably do any of it. There are people devoted they may never hold an office. They may never be officially a deacon of the church, but they're deacons in the church. The church should be packed full of deacons because Christians should be serving and devoted to serving one another. Do you know the challenges that they face in their life? Do you know the burdens they carry? Do you know the challenges they face in being devoted to the ministry that they're offering and serving you in? We're moving toward establishing specific deacons here at the village. The church should be filled with them. One author, the guy in this book, authors, he refers to deacons in the church as a cavalry of servants. Man, that refreshes my soul. When I labor all week, praying in the word, talking with you, praying for you, praying with you, to know that there are people who are devoted to ministry so that I can be devoted to praying in the ministry of the word. Praise God. As we move forward to see God establish deacons here, to see God establish those who are devoted to the service of the saints. 
May Christ be our example. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be served. The Son of Man did not come to be diakoneo. He came to diakoneo. You know how you could read it? The Son of Man came not to be deaconed. He came to be a deacon. May we follow Christ's example and be servants to one another, subject to those that God puts over us, that God brings and raises up, and I pray sends out. There's a world that needs them. Let's follow Christ's example and serve one another. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time in your word today. Thank you, God, for... Father, thank you for those who have served one another here today for this food that we're going to enjoy in a time of fellowship. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you, Father, for taking imperfect, broken, weak, and needy people and using them for your glory in the service of your saints. We thank you for the gospel that saves. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Father, would you help us, God, learn to be subject to those who are devoted to us? And would you, I pray, increase our devotion to one another, that we would be devoted to the saints around us? God, but not so closed-minded that we forget that there are other churches. Would you help us, God? Connect us with churches that we can pray for and hold up in prayer before you to support them and to care for them and to love them as we strive together with like mind for the cause of the gospel. Father, we thank you for your word, for your grace and your mercy, for your love. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.